Welcome to The Remedy, brought to you by NYC Health and Hospitals, innovating public health care to benefit all New Yorkers. Every New Yorker deserves to live a healthy life, and access to great health care is closer than you might think. Here at NYC Health and Hospitals, we're fighting chronic disease with a simple yet powerful approach, primary care. Today, we're going to be talking about NYC's primary care heroes. I'm Dr. Michael Shen. Today, I'm excited to talk with three primary care doctors and leaders in our hospital system. We have Dr. Mitch Katz, the president and CEO of NYC Health and Hospitals, Dr. Andrew Wallach, ambulatory care chief medical officer, and Dr. Michelle Soto, chief of ambulatory care at Health and Hospitals South Brooklyn Health. Together, we're going to talk about why it's so critical for New York's public hospital system to focus on primary care to improve the health of our city. Welcome, Dr. Katz, Dr. Wallach, and Dr. Soto. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I wanted to start by getting to know each of you a little bit better for our audience. So for those listening, could each of you tell us a little bit about your role at New York City Health and Hospitals and what your day-to-day is like? Let's start with you, Dr. Katz. Well, I'm the president and CEO of New York City Health and Hospitals, and I run three public systems, which I'm very proud of, the public hospital system in San Francisco, then the public hospital system in Los Angeles, and now here in New York City. And I try hard to run it like a primary care doctor, to focus on the actual needs of our patients and our staff and solve problems in common sense ways. That's awesome. Dr. Wallach, on to you. Great. Thanks, Mike. So Andrew Wallach here. And at my core, I really self-identify as a primary care physician. This year is my 26th year here at New York City Health and Hospitals. I've done all my clinical work over those years at Bellevue, which I consider my clinical home. As far as my caps, if you will, or my day jobs, I have a couple of different titles that I have. So at Bellevue, I serve as the ambulatory care chief. And that's about 50% of my time. The other 50% is spent downtown at our central office, where I serve as the system ambulatory care chief medical officer. As far as what my days look like, one of the things I absolutely love about my job is that no two days are alike. I spend a lot of my focus really looking at clinical operations to make sure, quote unquote, the trains are running on time and that our providers have the tools that they need to provide high-quality care. And the other piece really is to make sure that that is what we are doing, that we're providing the highest quality of care to our patients. So looking at ways that we can implement throughout our system best practices for our patients. That's really great, Dr. Wallach. Dr. Soto, what's your role? So I'm an internist, a primary care provider for the past 23 years. I'm very excited to be at h H. I started as a medical student in downstate Kings County. So throughout my career, I've been in h H. So it's been an honor to be able to come back. I am the chief of ambulatory care here at South Brooklyn Health. I've been here for the past four years. And my day-to-day is, it includes seeing patients. I have two clinical sessions where most of my care is rendered in Spanish. I have a large volume of patients who are Spanish-speaking, and I am excited to work with that population. But as Health Brooklyn Health, we have a very diverse patient population. So I see patients from all backgrounds. So one of the things I'm noticing is that 
we're all primary care doctors on this call. And I think that's significant because not only that, you're also leaders in this hospital system. And because our conversations around primary care, I wanted to start with the basics today. Dr. Katz, can you tell us what primary care is? Primary care is meeting the needs of a patient, of being their doctor. Primary care is not limited to internal medicine, which the three of us practice, but it includes pediatrics and gynecology and obstetrics and family practice, and it includes the work that's done by nurse practitioners and physician assistants, but it's all geared to meeting the needs of the entire patient. It's integrated holistic care. It's not focusing on one part of the body, one moment in the person's life, or one set of issues. Yeah, and so I've also heard you say New York is not a primary care town. And I feel somewhat similarly, there is this sense that there is a doctor on every corner and there's a doctor for every problem you might have. What do you say to that? I think your observation is entirely true. I remember that when I first started seeing patients at Gouvenier, one of my first patients was a monolingual Mandarin speaker who had no form of insurance. And when I said, how can I help you? She said, I need you to refer me to a thyroid specialist. And my initial feeling was, oh my God, everybody here thinks that they need to see a specialist. So I assured her that I was perfectly capable of dealing with her thyroid issues. And we went on from there. And do you feel like in the landscape of healthcare, that's kind of a problem? Well, absolutely, it's a problem. I mean, sadly, American medicine is motivated by money. And specialty care produces much higher income for doctors and much higher income for hospitals and physician groups, especially when there are procedures attached to it. We, on the other hand, as primary care doctors, we actually save the system money by knowing our patients well, knowing when they need more testing and when they need a hug or someone to listen to their issues. So we don't generate dollars, and that makes us less popular among hospital business people. This next question is for Dr. Wallach. When it comes to primary care, we focused on things that might not be as sparkly. It's things like chronic disease, such as diabetes and high blood pressure. And I wanted to know, these are challenges that are here in New York City, but also across the nation for people. How is New York City Health and Hospitals fighting these conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, in our primary care setting? You know, I will say for me as a primary care doc, I think of primary care really as healthcare at its basic. And I, I don't mean basic in a negative or derogatory way, but perhaps maybe a fundamental way rather than specialized level that typically is more episodic, which is what we see typically, again, with our specialty providers. But really the secret sauce here at New York City Health and Hospitals, and quite frankly, across our country, that really sets primary care aside is the fact that, number one, it's accessible when the patient wants it, where the patient wants it nowadays vis-a-vis telehealth. It is whole person care, right? We're not looking at individuals as a unique disease or illness, but as a person. It's that incredible emphasis on the continuity of care. It's that relationship building between the provider and the individual. 
And then quite honestly, because healthcare in the United States really does rely historically on specialized care, a big role of the primary care doc really is coordination of care, whether that means with specialists or specifically during transitions of care when a patient is discharged from an emergency department or discharged you know, from an inpatient stay. So I think we're really a unique opportunity to provide kind of that glue, if you will, for the individual. And that is what we've done here at New York City Health and Hospitals. And I would also argue that in doing so and in growing our primary care practices, we are beneficial for the system. Our patients are going to need to have their appendix removed. They're going to need to have procedures, right? And so they are revenue generating down the road. And I think a really healthy healthcare system has at its core a strong primary care base. Yeah, I really agree. And to the point of treating all New Yorkers in our hospital system, I think one of the biggest barriers to primary care is often the lack of insurance. But we do have a program for those who may not qualify for health insurance. And that program is NYC Care. Dr. Soto, I know that you've worked extensively with patients who have NYC care. Can you tell us a little bit about that program and how it's been successful in your practice? So NYC care allows for patients who are uninsured or underinsured to get access to top quality care within the health and hospital system. So patients can enroll and have access to primary care, specialty care, and any of their needs at a free or low-cost possibilities. So we're excited to say that our patients have this opportunity throughout New York City that they can qualify and enroll for NYC care. Yeah, it gives me a lot of pride to be able to tell people, no matter what your situation is, you can come to one of our hospitals. We are going to take care of you. We're going to give you both primary care, but also all the other related care and it probably will be covered or will have your back in some way. And I think that's really important, especially as we see a lot of diverse populations coming into New York City. It's important that we're able to treat all of our communities in New York City. I know, Dr. Katz, you shared a few stories of patients. Dr. Wallach or Dr. Soto, I was wondering if there are any stories that you'd like to share for our audience. I'd love to share a story of a patient who, in fact, I just spoke to earlier this morning. She called me needing a medication refill. But this is a woman who is probably of similar age to myself. And I actually met her when I first started here 26 years ago. And this patient I met is a new patient. She showed up on my clinic schedule one morning. And she had just recently been discharged from the hospital. She had had very uncontrolled high blood pressure, which led to something called an intracerebral hemorrhage or bleed on the brain. And as a result of that, she had some weakness and some eye trouble. But I think perhaps equally concerning is that this really had a significant impact on the quality of her life, and she was pretty depressed. And in fact, I vividly remember that first visit with her. I think half the visit she was crying. And I'm still seeing her to today, so 26 years later. And I think in my book, she's what I describe as a primary care success story. She's somebody who we've been able to control her blood pressure. We've been able to treat her depression. And now she's a vibrant, active member of her community. She serves on some of our actual community boards and has an incredible quality of life. She's raising two children who are both doing well, both graduated within the past few years from college. 
And it's about that relationship building. She has a doc that she knows that she can call should she have a question. I think one of the lessons from the COVID pandemic that I hope that everybody listens to and hears and receives is the importance of having a primary care doc because it is about that relationship when issues arise unexpectedly, such as COVID. But equally important to have that trusted source of information in this day and age with social media, with the internet, there's a lot of misinformation that's being propagated. And having that connection to a primary care doc, we can help resolve that and make sure our patients are getting access to the correct information. I'm actually wondering, how closely are you communicating with your patients? I feel like that's something that every primary care doctor kind of thinks about. And how do you stay connected to your patients? So I'll start for me. I think it's variable and it depends on the patients. Some patients prefer to pick up the phone and call. I'll be honest, most times I have to then call them back. It's hard in the middle of my day. But either by phone, our electronic health record here at New York City Health and Hospitals has a patient portal, which I'm a huge fan of, as are many of my patients, where they can ping a message when it's convenient for them. And I have a funny story, Mike, just to say, probably about two weeks ago, I was seeing a patient in the office and she was in her early to mid-70s. And I said, oh, let me see when you have your next appointment with a cardiologist. And I was getting ready to look on the computer on my desktop. And she goes, oh, no, hold on, Dr. Wallach, no problem. She whips out her phone. And before I had a chance to look, uh, (laughs) she went into her MyChart portal and said, oh, I have the appointment in two weeks. I'm good, Dr. Wallach. So for me, you know, that MyChart communication has really been fantastic. And then, of course, (laughs) communicating in person. But I think the fact that we have multiple options for patients because it's going to be different for the person, has really been successful. Yeah. In a way, I also think about that as access as well. You know, it's not just access to appointments, but sometimes it's access to your doctor to ask a question. Dr. Soto, I was wondering, as Dr. Wallach mentioned, telehealth being a major goal for our system and really a game changer in terms of how we think about access for patients. And I was wondering if you have any stories about how telehealth has changed your practice, any revelations about telehealth, how has that impacted the way that you care for people? It has opened opportunities for some of our patients who need to work during the times that I have clinic sessions. Not everybody is available between 1 and 4 p.m. to come see me. And if they come to see me, that may mean that they missed a day of work. That means a day that they're not getting paid. So I give them the option of seeing me in person or virtual. And I think for our population that is really dependent on their paycheck is critical because they're still able to receive their care, connect with their provider, and not have to miss a day of work. And Michelle, I think you and I had talked about this just a few weeks back. Mike, one of the things that Michelle also and I had discussed was the fact with virtual visits, especially video virtual visits, If the patient's at home, we'll tell the patient, do me a favor, get up and go into your kitchen, open your refrigerator, let me see what's in there, open your cupboards, let me see what's in your cabinets, or go into your medicine chest in the bathroom, let's see which medications are on. There's so much information that we can gain from this, right, Michelle, that we've really, I feel like as a primary care doc, it has changed the way we practice in some ways. Yes, we can ask the patient to show us their body parts, show us your feet, let's take a look. Let's make sure that there are no lesions in your feet. If they tell me I'm having some abdominal pain, well, show me where, press in that area of your belly and show me exactly where it's at so it's easier for me to make a decision. 
Now, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a virtual visit with a brand new patient and I called the patient, we're having the discussion and he told me, you know, I've been very depressed and I've been waiting for you to get in touch with me because I really want to talk to somebody. And we had an extensive conversation. At this point, we were on the phone. It was before we started using the video. And I was able to make a contract with the patient to come in and meet me the next morning in the office because he did have some suicidal ideations. And upon questioning, I realized, well, this is a low-risk situation. He's not in immediate danger. I would like to meet you in person and do a warm handoff to the emergency room in the morning. And he agreed. He came to see me in the morning, and this is while well, we're at the moment shut down. And I had to make sure that he got to the emergency room safely. He was eventually admitted into psych. He spent three weeks in psych getting the care that he needed. He has been my patient ever since. He's someone who refuses to see anyone else because he feels that I saved his life because the depression was so severe for him at the beginning of the pandemic. And we've been able to work on his diabetes and get it under control, his blood pressure, make sure that he's medically optimized. And he's now going to the gym. He's active and he is one of the patients that I'm most happy for their success because it's been such a long journey for us working together. Yeah, it's that journey through thick and thin through like the ups and downs that primary care really just sticks with the person throughout that. I think you mentioned telehealth in a way that is also really important for transitions of care in between different spaces of care. I remember in residency, a lot of what you learn is just purely about medicine and not as much about how people connect between different parts of a really complex system. So I think telehealth is maybe part of that connection. But, and this question's for Dr. Katz, as we look to the future, how do we envision primary care evolving going forward in our system, in our city? Well, certainly here at Health and Hospitals, where we are mostly focused on the needs of the patients, not on making more money, we're going to keep growing primary care. We're going to keep supporting ways that great primary care doctors like Dr. Wallach and Dr. Soto can take care of their patients. We'll always make sure we have excellent translation services, transportation services, connections to food services in every single health and hospital facility. A patient could talk to a lawyer because we know a lot of our patients have challenges with evictions, with job discrimination. So we want to make primary care the center of the patient's experience use it as the opportunity to connect people to the other services they need. We have a very active collaborative care program with our nurses and our social workers to meet the needs of our patients around social goods. And of course, you know, we value our specialists. When somebody really needs to see a specialist, all of us are incredibly glad they're there. But the basis of our system should be primary care. So is there anything that you'd like to talk about that we didn't get to touch on? Michael, I'll tell one more story because it's very important to me about health and hospitals. I was taking care of a monolingual Mandarin speaker 
who lived in Brooklyn, and she had a, a serious health problem and required calling an ambulance, and she went to the nearest hospital, which was not a health and hospital facility, was one of the major system hospitals, and she got very competent care in terms of what she needed. However, when she came to see me following the visit, she said it was so hard for her because every day the financial counselors came into her room and asked her how she would pay for the hospital visit. She said, you know, here at Gouverneur, nobody asks me about money. And I thought that it was an important reminder that guaranteeing access isn't just about whether or not you can be refused. It's about how you're made to feel. And that if people are made to feel like they don't belong in a place, then it doesn't matter whether or not the place can send them a bill. They will feel that they are unwelcome. And that is a way to prevent access to needed health care. While at health and hospitals, because we do provide the same level of care to everybody, whether they're rich or poor, regardless of their immigration status, with excellent translation and lawyers and social workers and others to help our patients, our patients feel comfortable coming to us and know that they will get what they need. We kind of listed all these goals about primary care and how we're going to advance primary care in the city. I was wondering, how do we know that we're doing a good job? How do we know that we're doing good by our communities and our patients? And this is for anybody. Look, New York City has lots of options, right? And I think our patients speak with their feet. And it really is wonderful that they feel comfortable in giving us feedback, good and bad, right? And I think equally important is we take that feedback very seriously and we use that feedback. We incorporate it into our planning, into our changing of how we deliver care to our patients. And that's what makes primary care so dynamic and quite honestly enjoyable is that it's an ever-evolving quality improvement project, right? We continue to do better. Great. Thanks, everybody, for your time. I really appreciate you being here. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Mike. Thank you. It's been an honor. Well, that's all we have time for today. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Mitch Katz, Dr. Andrew Wallach, and Dr. Michelle Soto for joining us on the show today and discussing the importance of primary care. Thanks as well to you for listening. Please remember to leave a review and subscribe. We're just getting started. I'm Dr. Michael Shen, and this has been The Remedy, brought to you by New York City Health and Hospitals. See you next time. This podcast was produced by Amaze Media Labs. 